What you're about to hear is a portion of this week's Pod Dylan, the full version of which is now available only to FM Plus subscribers. Please enjoy this sample. For just a few dollars a month, FM Plus subscribers get all of our full episodes, bonus episodes, plus full archives from every show in the FM Podcast Network. Subscribing makes all of these great shows possible. You can sign up in Apple Podcasts or at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Seen the arrow on the doorpost saying this land is condemned all the way from New Orleans to New Jerusalem. I traveled through East Texas where many martyrs fell. And I can tell you one thing. Nobody can sing the blues like Blind Willie McTell. This is Pod Dylan that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us once again to talk about Blind Willie McTell, an outtake, of course, from 1983's Infidels, is author Stephen Daniel Arnuff. Hi, Stephen. Welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back. Really great. I'm very excited to have you back on the show. We talked about Maggie's Farm a little while ago, and that was a really fun conversation, and I thoroughly enjoyed your book. Sorry, we didn't get a chance to meet up while we were both in Tulsa. We were there at the same time, and we didn't get a chance to say, I'm very frustrated at myself about that. Well, we were all uh, a little, I think, overwhelmed and overstimulated by all the activities, so we're we're both forgiven for uh, missing it, but (laughs) we'll see in two years, right? Yes, I think so. I think that is the plan. How was your, we'll talk about it briefly. How was your experience there about, you spoke at a panel, you enjoyed yourself? Yeah, I spoke at a panel. First of all, what could be wrong? You know, it's just to be in the same yellow submarine with all the Dylan, Dylan people. And, um, you know, Griel Marcus, when he gave his, um, keynote, he said, I think sincerely that it's a room where, Everybody is really committed to trying to to discover new things and to have conversations that are challenging and and to present papers and talks that are new. And I just loved it. I learned so many things. I saw a lot of people that, um, you know, I follow in different ways over the years. And um, a lot of it was just like high-fiving and saying thanks to all these great people who have been doing such interesting work. So I loved it. And Tulsa was a lot of fun, too. And the music, the live music was great. I even found some really terrific pizza. So I'm, I was <laughs> super happy. What can I say? Yeah, we had some good meals while we were out there in, in Tulsa. Absolutely. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, that's again, that, that's fantastic. And like I said, hopefully if we're, if we're all back there in 2025, we, we can get together. That would be uh, fantastic. So, okay. Blind Willie McTell. I, is it safe to assume, Stephen, that? You you agree, at least with me, and this is the general consensus, that of all of Bob Dylan's frustrating choices about what to leave off albums, this would be, by most people's estimation, the number one draft pick in that that regard. I mean, there's so many great songs that he's left off, but I feel like most people would say this is the number one head scratcher of a choice, right? Yeah, it's the number one head scratcher for sure. It's a it's the number one pick in the in the draft, as you say. Um, I put up to me in in maybe number two or three in that mm-hmm. draft. That's another mm-hmm. one of my favorite songs. In fact, both of these songs are kind of in my top. I don't know, twenty, maybe fifteen, maybe even ten. 
I just, I, this is such a haunting and amazing song. And the whole story of why it's left out, it remains untold. We'll, we'll try to make up some, uh, some excuses our, ourselves here, but um, <laughs> it really is a masterpiece in, in all the ways. I would agree with you on up to me. I think the only reason I give this one, I can't believe I used a sports metaphor because I am not a sports guy, but uh, <laughs> I think, I think the reason this is the one is because I get the sense not to get derailed in this conversation right at the top, but like I get the, from what I understand of up to me, it wasn't that he was dissatisfied with up to me. It was that it was like, well, it's just, I have other songs that are achieving the thing I want more than so. Therefore there's no room for it, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. like he was like, Oh, up to me. I couldn't, I couldn't quite get there, but he has said directly. He never finished blind Willie McTell to his satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing where I think the rest of us are just like, what, (laughs) what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. And and I think maybe the reason is that he can't, I mean, it's the kind of song, the issue that he's taking on, is so big and so core to the rest of the body of his work. And it is in so many ways, I think one of the songs where Dylan really takes off the mask and the story that he's telling is while it's mythical and historical and uniquely American, it is very personal. Um, He's basically taking the mask off in sort of what, drives his musical vision as a uh inheritor of musical traditions as a white man playing black music as a person who's influenced by the suffering around him and is a commentator on it and at certain points walks away from that and focuses on other things so for all those reasons i wonder if he could have gotten any closer without like winding up on the other side and having no song at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Entirely. Um, I will say we, we covered this song, I think in like the first year of, of Pod yeah. Dylan. So you're talking, that was seven years ago at this point. And I've, I've you were seven I'm, years old. You were seven years I was old. Just, I was seven years old then. Uh, but I mean, I, and I've mentioned this on, on, you know, other shows many times is that like one of the reasons I'm comfortable with recovering songs is because the songs along with myself, they change and they, I mean, the song, I mean, the song changes in my head. Obviously the song is the song, but like, I think when I first heard the, the version on the bootleg series, the acoustic piano version, sure. and then I heard through a bootleg, the band version. And, and we'll, again, we'll talk about both of them, but I remember thinking, oh, the band one, nah, it's the one on the bootleg series. That's the one that's, that's the one. And I always sort of dismissed the band one as just, it doesn't fit. It's not the right thing. But And I just sort of forgot about it. Well, again, seven years pass. And since then, I've heard live versions that he's done. Yeah. Uh, he did the one on, I got to see him. We got to see him on television where he where was at the Scorsese sure. tribute, where right. he sang it there, which is great because you get to see him kind of up close, which is always fantastic. Yeah. And then they released the band version on the Springtime in New York set. And now, well, I won't. I won't say that like the band version has replaced the acoustic one in my heart. I've come around on it. I'm kind of like, Oh, now that I've heard so many band versions of it, I kind of see the merits of the band version versus the acoustic one. I still think the acoustic one has the edge, but I can see why people like the band one the way they do. And so it's like, yeah. And, and, the song is the same, but it's, it's, I've changed. It's seven years gone and I'm able to appreciate the band one in a way I 
was not before. Yeah, musically, I go for the I go for the simple, you know, piano guitar version. I think that part of what really grabbed me about the song the first time I've heard it and continues to do is just that it's that, you know, it, they're woodshedding. And I, I admittedly don't know all of the history of the studio experience that was happening around this song and why it was recorded the way it was, but it feels like um, the same kind of feel as uh, every grain of sand with the dog barking <laughs> in the background, that kind of like, moment where there isn't any rock and roll artifice it's just the song and they're feeling out the song a little bit and you've got these two master musicians going at it and i just can imagine the room just full of ghosts when they're playing it so you know if you want to compare the band version to the to this acoustic version i'd say there were probably a lot more people in the acoustic version. It's just they were ghosts, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, the room feels full, and the story is uh, it's just haunting. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed, actually, uh, just by quoting the opening verse on BobDylan.com, he's changed the words there. I just realized that he says, the, the end line says, when many martyrs fell, and I can tell you one thing, nobody can sing the blues like Blind William McTelter, which, of course, is not, what he sings, he sings, right. uh, and and no one can sing the blue, you know, and uh, and it, it's amazing that he's still kind of again changing it and messing with it um, to this point. And in research with, of course, anytime somebody mentions they want to do a song off of Infidels or from the Infidels sessions, sure. I immediately dig out Terry Gans's book, Surviving in a Ruthless World, because it is so detailed, and I absolutely love this book, and I wish. Every Bob Dylan album got this kind of treatment, like a full hardcover book examining every verse. I mean, I would imagine the hardcover down in the groove book probably wouldn't sell too well, but you know, okay. Um, but, uh, one of the, one of the things that Terry mentions, cause Terry has, has had access to the lyrics and all of this stuff. There was a, there was a line that was lost at some point, an extra verse, which had to line something about the narrator and Betty Grable trying to stay warm in Nashville. Which I, I, I'm like, even these cast off lines that he, you know, that he yeah. put jots down. I go, oh my god! I wish I could hear that. That sounds so cool. It's, yeah, it's what's, amazing. What's she doing there? What's what's yeah. America's pinup uh, pinup girl doing there? Why Nashville? I, I guess for me, the reason why Dylan is is fiddling. It's sometimes it's just I think he's fidgety and. And, um, just likes to, to play with things and mess with things. Sometimes he's still curious about something. He's so, um, committed to craft that he will always look for next, even in something that is seemingly fixed and, and settled. On this one, you know, I, I, I really do think about what's revealed in the song and what may, might be uncomfortable for him singing it. Um, think about it. You know, here is arguably, the most important um, musician of his era admitting that he can't reach the top. You know, he is, he is limited in being able to, to, to be the fullest singer, at least as a singer of the blues because of who he is. And the irony is that he's singing about slavery, which is a system which was designed so that 
a large proportion of the American population were completely limited. And you might even say, you know, restricted in how much humanity they could even experience for them for themselves. So the whole song is this kind of reversal. And I almost imagine it, I don't know, to explain it to myself. It's almost like the song takes over and and it kind of makes Dylan small in it, in a sense that the story is so much bigger and his admission that, you know, as he's staring out the window of the St. James Hotel, he is admitting that he's just transient. You know, he's just passing through. The story that he's trying to sing, which he isn't able to sing fully enough and then ultimately doesn't even release on his album, it's bigger than him. And when you're talking about Dylan and a story that's bigger than him, you know, this is a guy who sang Murder Most Foul. This is a guy who sang Desolation Row, uh, ain't talking. Like, he is not afraid of an, of an epic story. Um, and that's what makes the song such a puzzle. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing sort of metatextual thing of that. This is a guy talking about that there's no one like Blind Willie McTell to do, to sing the song of America. And yet it's like, well, anyone really would argue, well, that's you, Bob. You're You're the one. He feels insufficient. For the rest yeah. of us, it's like, no, you are the Blind Willie McTell of this era, Bob. I mean, he obviously can't think of himself that way because I would imagine the minute you think of yourself that way, you're dead creatively and ego-wise. If you if you think of yourself as, oh, I'm the guy, then yeah. you're probably dead in the water in a lot of different ways. And so for the rest of us, we're like, no, this is you're the guy singing this. I mean, what, what other artist would have attempted to sing about the whole of American history, the original sin that America is based on in a five minute song, you know, well, when they do try, you know, it's like, you know, uh, Billy Joel saying, we didn't start the fire. You know, it's just total kitsch, you know, <laughs> I so, love Billy Joel, but that song is, that yeah, song's rough. <laughs> I, mean, right? but, I mean, it's, it's like, if you, if you want to take on something that big, I think in a certain sense, you have to make yourself small. Like you got to be right. a big enough star in order to sit back and let the song uh, carry the day. And it's it's a risky proposition for Dylan, I think. Um, you know, my talk at, um, in Tulsa at the World of Bob Dylan was with uh, with with was with my friend Mark uh, Montgomery French and. And we talked about Dylan and as and race. My focus was on Dylan and sort of fundamentalist religion, which he's flirted with uh, over the years in lots of different ways. And Mark talked about Dylan and black music, black culture, black musicians. You know, who is Bob Dylan vis-a-vis this massive template that he's trying to paint on? And it's for for Mark and for me in in thinking about this. There are elements that are a mixed bag. You know, Dylan has played with the minstrelry uh, theme, uh, Masked and Anonymous with Ed Harris, you know, singing in blackface, Dylan singing Dixie. There's there's plenty that's been written about um, and talked about uh, Love and Theft, which is a nod to a book about minstrelry, right, um, which Dylan titles an album uh, uh, after. And so it's really um, tricky territory, I think, for Dylan to be taking on this story as a white singer, um, recognizing that he has endless appreciation and respect that comes through in the song and it comes through in his, his entire history for, um, for these stories that he's, that he's witnessing, but he is on the balcony, right? He is hmm. 
looking out the window down at the story and part of it he's imagining because he's you can see him sort of dreaming it closing his eyes it's one of his his dreamscape songs um and those are some of the greatest songs when he's when he's sort of in kind of these nether worlds like uh like ain't talking or highlands um visions of johanna where you know there's there's like a real um uh, desolation row where he's kind of like watching himself in the song or watching mm-hmm. someone else's song and so uh, again it to me it's like he lays out this incredible template to to carry um how a musician um is going to carry a story that's bigger than himself and it is just a question right did he blink right did he look this song in the eyes which is universally regarded as one of as, as an, an incredible song just an incredible song regardless of the artist in dylan's canon it's right up there towards the top and did he blink and say wow i finally bit off a little more than i can chew <laughs> i don't know yeah. um in the uh the second verse again we're, we're talking about how yeah. You know, you, you, time moves on and you start appreciating things in a different way. But right. in the second verse, where he says, Well, they heard that hoot owl singing as they were taking down the tents. The stars above the barren trees were his only audience. By the way, I, again, I know amazing how much imagery he can conjure Beautiful. with just a couple yeah. of short lines. I mean, you immediately Beautiful. picture so many things. Uh, you know, imagine like dusk, you know, everything's getting quiet and the, the show is getting put taken down to move on to the next town. And then he says yeah. them charcoal gypsy maidens construct their feathers. Well, uh, and then and there's no one who can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell. And I will say that for the longest time, the line about the charcoal gypsy maidens, mm. I never could wrap my head around what that meant exactly. And it was okay. I was like, it's, it's okay. I don't really understand what it is. And mm. then I, ashamedly, it took me so long to to realize this, but have you seen the film uh, Babylon, the three hour yeah, movie about the yeah, silent film? Yeah, I yeah. love that movie. I absolutely it's loved it. And there's that scene, movie. there's that scene in the movie where the jazz musician is in the he's finally get the the African American band finally gets to be on camera, and they have to tell him, well, your skin, the way the camera lighting is picking it up, it comes across as yes. too too white. And it's going to look like a mixed race band and we can't have that in the movie. So they give him like a tin of sort of charcoal to rub on his face. So they make a black man appear in blackface and the poor guy has to stand there and hold it and contemplate what he's about to do if he wants to be in this movie and forward his career. And when I hear the line now about the charcoal gypsy maids, I go, oh, that's what they're talking about people in these gypsy mains are talking about gypsy mains in blackface. That's what, that's totally. the charcoal. And I'm like, Oh my God, how did I not figure that out? until now? Because, because so much of like those kinds of metaphors are embedded. We don't even think of it like that. Um, but yeah, on reflection, it's, it's blackface and it is, it, it, it reminds me that scene reminds me, um, they're selling postcards of the hanging. They're painting the passports brown. You know, the painting Dylan in whiteface on tour in the mid seventies. Um, again, that scene with, um, with, with Ed Harris, Ed Harris and, yeah. um, which, you know, feels 
like really gratuitous when you think about it. Well, why do we, why do we need to see that? Why do we need to see what, what's he trying to tell us? Um, you know, it's a bit like, I don't know, using the N word for show. It's like, do you actually need to make a point? Is there a better way to make the point? And it is, uh, it's really an open question, but in this one, Dylan is, you know, in a sense, protected from, from any sort of challenge of, of him, I don't know, being hypocritical or, or appropriating or whatever the term might be. The, the phrases, the, the scenes, as you just said, as you just said, are so, uh, beautiful and subtle. And it's a whole epic film that's happening in these, you know, seven verses or so. Um, and, and a melody that is very special and, um, you know, that combination again on the preferred version for me with just acoustic instruments and it is just in time, a little out of time. Um, you can hear him, you know, keeping the beat with his foot. I don't know if that's him or Knopfler doing that. But all of it together, it is kind of like they are in the camp, too. You know, it's like this is the after show band, right? This is after they've already done the show all day. They've been in the tent. They've done the circus. They're they're the traveling musicians. And they're now makeup's coming off and, you know, the costumes are off and, and they're sitting down with a, you know, whatever, whatever you drink out there uh, and a cheap cigar and they're going to see the, they're going to sing the real stuff. And, and it's, it's like peeking behind the curtain. And that is, it's a very special moment. Um, for, for those of us who are so immersed in Dylan, um, you know, he's aware of the fact that he didn't release the song. He's aware of the fact, presumably that, that, that it's a big deal to people and a real question mark. And it's in not releasing it. You have to wonder if that's part of the message of the song. Thanks for listening to this part of the episode. We hope you'll consider becoming an FM Plus subscriber to hear the full version of this and all of our shows. Sign up in Apple Podcasts or at fmpods.com.